0: Artistic Whispers Productions presents. Let us make man in our own image, said God. We create God. We create God. We create man You're listening to Sculpting God, a podcast anthology written and read by J. Daniel Sawyer. These stories contain enough terror, sex, violence, and wonder to keep you awake all night. Sculpting God. Have you ever been caught in the rain, in air so humid that you could chew it? Have you ever been stuck in a dead-end job, hoping that opportunity will walk through your door? Have you ever heard the proverb, Be careful what you wish for? We've all heard the story. The stranger rides into town offering riches and promise. But is such a stranger really a man? Is he instead a god? Is he Satan? Or maybe he's something else altogether. Maybe he's finding his own way through the Amazon in the twenty-second century. Maybe he's the man in the rain. Donna Cafe, tall, no cream? See, senor. The small, leathery barista dressed like Juan Valdez, nodded his head and pulled the coffee from the antique tapped carafe on the bar. The rain flowed down like a waterfall, thick enough to obscure the other side of the narrow, dirt and gravel road. The tourist bureau said it always rained like this during January. Cafe. How much? Bs. No, 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 no. Quatro. Siete. Cinco. Sí, si, señor. Cinco. Gracias. Mandu laid down a five credit chit. The money was pretty much the only modern thing allowed in public here. He wrapped his fingers around the base of his coffee cup and flipped his oil skin up over his head, his boots squishing in the mud as he ran across the dirt road to his shop. The water against the palm frond thatch chattered like a crowd of courting locusts. Per local regulations, the building was constructed of traditional wood and reed materials with only the barest of fullerene and steel reinforcement to protect against earthquakes and looting. The nature preserve in the Brazilian Basin didn't just preserve nature in a more or less arrested state, it preserved material and human culture, too. The 22nd century's answer to the Amish lived here, men and women in various intermittents who wished to experience life as it once was in the wild days of the Amazon, along with a handful who wanted to disappear for a little while. Coffee on the counter, oilskin on the hook. Mandu hopped over the low gate and stepped up to the register. A customer, short, Asian, and heavily scarred, sat on the wicker chair in the small lobby. Seeing Mandu return from his coffee break, the man stood, meticulously folded his newspaper, and strode over to him like someone who'd forgotten to take his rejuves for a few years. Knotted joints. A man with arthritis eating at him like a what do they call this fish? Pirinas, pirinas, piranhas. Yeah, something like that. Poor hunter. Somebody should have given him the facts of life while he could have taken advantage for cheap. Nanobot joint lubrication was painless. Leg transplants weren't. I'll get it, amigo. Spanish never sat well in his mouth, and he didn't dare try Portuguese. English was bad enough. The mishmash creole he'd learned in the bowels of the Nigerian IT world was his first language, and he liked it that way. Efficient, short phrases stolen from English, Afrikaans, Mandarin, and half a dozen programming languages cobbled together to express thought elegantly, simply, and directly. Still, he had to make himself understood as best he could, as long as he worked the counter. What service can we give for you, sir? The man set his Panama hat down on the glass-top display case. Real glass, too, not the cheaper and stronger fluorine composite, and pointed at a gaudy native bracelet. The term native was used loosely. The Yanomami and Awa maintained show settlements as tourist attractions, but aside from their sentimental and commercial devotion to family history, they had long since melted into the South American Confederation's pot. Cui, e preco. A voice like cracked sheepskin. Mandu could understand the question perfectly well. Programming AIs for hierarchical metabase bots required a dozen different languages at least. Speaking them, well, it was quite another matter. Tzitzit. Fifteen hour ticket. You speak English. it, I do. Good. I need this here. Having a ticket? Mandu hadn't seen the man before, but the boss might have dealt with him. The item he wanted wasn't one Mandu had logged in, so it was possible the customer was trying to reclaim a pawned item. What is a ticket? Well, returning customers are... No. I've not been here before. How much? Twenty-five. Less than you got something to hock. The customer rifled through his pockets and pulled out a ring, setting it on the table. Here. Gold. Mondu placed the ring under the scanner scope, sampling its purity and checking to make sure it didn't have a tracking mark that he'd have to remove. Good, good. Straight swap plus the ticket. Good for you? That will suffice. Mondu printed the claim number, carefully and by hand, on the ticket alongside its trade value, and handed it to the customer. The man took it without meeting his gaze and shuffled out as if every step pained him. Aside from his walk he didn't look that old but then again neither did Mandu cheap rejuve kept looks from meaning much and had done since as long ago as Mandu could remember people looked the age they wanted to and that's all there was to it the rain still came it felt safe The thing he'd missed most about life back home after he left was the rain. His city, Calabar, grew straight up out of the middle of the rainforest in southern Nigeria, where, when the air wasn't thick enough to chew, it rained. The rain always felt right. Here, even though between the canopy and the clouds he rarely saw the sun, the rain made the jungle feel like all the parts of home he actually missed. And there weren't many of those. The thatch did leak a bit here and there. The boss kept a bunch of cotton towels under the counter to keep the glass clean. Mandu grabbed one and wiped it down, and then settled onto a stool at the end of the counter, leaning up against the reed wall. He couldn't really tell where his sweat ended and the humidity and rain began, but he didn't really care. His coffee, still warm enough to drink, stank of too much cinnamon and over-roasting, but the bitter smoothness of it slid down his gullet like chicha. From his perch, he had a view, through the door and the rain, of the cafe patio across the road. The array of umbrella-hooded small tables were usually abandoned. one to assume this was a seasonal phenomenon, but not this week. The man sitting at them arrived in a fedora hat and a trench coat to keep off the rain. Far too warm for this weather. Now, for the third day in a row, he drank his coffee with his hat set on the table, as if reverence required his head remain uncovered in the presence of the ramshackle canteen. Rain or shine, mostly rain, he showed up precisely at 1,200 and left precisely at 1,250, as if he were billing by a psychiatrist's watch. A tourist might have stayed two days waiting for his guide to arrive for a trek through the jungle. A professional's schedule would have varied depending on the needs of the day. This man was more precise, and three days of waiting was too many. Mandu studied him for a while, wondering if he would stand and come into the shop. For days now, the stranger's eyes had scanned the environs as if he were waiting for someone. All that time, the one place Mandu hadn't caught him looking was at the old hawk shop. If he was here for one of the boss's special services and wanted the boss to do it personally, he'd be waiting a while until the boss got back from his jaunt to Sao Paulo to see his mistress. The afternoon stretched on. No further foot traffic came in through the door. A couple of calls rang in on the antique phone. Actually rang, like a bell. Freelance guys checking in for loitering clients and tourists calling in advance asking if they carried steel machetes. He wished he had a computer. He hadn't been on the net in almost six months, for all he knew the universe had been and gone in that time. He wanted a new wetware cube and a terminal to hook it up to just as it was being decanted use the delicate chemical signals to coax the fiber lines into place, stimulate it right to lay down the language strata, etch the programming onto the proto-neurons, and come out the other end with a custom AI well-suited to the ordered task. He missed the communion with the emerging mind, the challenge and precision of the work, the artistry. Night came on with a slackening of the rain. Mondu closed up the shop and made his way through the file room where he took his dinner of taper, Brazil nuts, banana chips, and mango before climbing into his hammock. It wasn't much, but it came free with the job, and besides, if he was going to live for a six-month rotation on a nature preserve, he might as well get all he could out of the experience. It didn't hurt that it was a more comfortable way to sleep than anything he'd ever used. Morning found him snoring lightly with a cockroach on his head. Sometime during the night, he'd shifted his arms, flopping them outside the deep valley created in the cloth by his body, and holding open what was otherwise effectively a cocoon for keeping out the bugs. When he cracked his eyes open against the light, he saw the sectioned abdomen of the creature squatting comfortably over his left pupil. Nothing in the world looks bigger than an Amazonian cockroach. But when you wake up enough mornings with them sitting on you, or crawling over your coffee maker, they lost their effect. They really weren't much more than small, creepy-looking, six-legged birds. He flicked it off his forehead and rolled out of bed, landing squarely on his feet. The rain wasn't falling, but the humidity hadn't taken much notice. Its suffocating moisture meant the night offered no relief from the heat, so he stripped down to skin and soaped yesterday's grime off his body then dusted himself from head to toe with antifungal talc before slithering back into a pair of camo BDUs and a three-sizes-too-big white silk button-up. He grabbed a papaya off the tree that grew out his back window and chewed it over while he opened up the shop and planned his day. Not that there was much to plan. No tour groups were due through for another four days, and the casino wouldn't be open until they were in town, which meant there probably wouldn't be anyone coming through the shop who needed to go into Hawk to cover their debts. It was even less likely that people would be in for souvenirs or deals selected out of the display cases of previously pawned items. If business was slow again today, he might tempt fate and slide out early with a blowgun and a machete for a walk through the jungle. He still had a few hunting tags left for the season. Perhaps he'd bag a taper and make a bonfire for a spit roast. The village folk might like the odd excuse to gather during the long stretches of rain. He didn't know for sure. They weren't a sociable set. But even if only a few showed up, it would help. He was running low on books to read during the evenings. Mondu found a mount plate in the boss's office and used it to display the gold ring from the day before. Front and center in the display case, he should be able to move it when the next pack of tourists came through. It might make a good wedding ring, and there were always one or two couples looking to stage a memorable wedding in front of a banyan tree or down by the river. As the day dragged on, Mondu perched himself up on his stool against the wall and digested a trade paper he'd printed up in Rio. No PPDs allowed for residents in the preserve, so all his reading material was dead tree. There was no lack of trees to print them on. Not in the Amazon. Nor, he thought, as he nipped back to the old-fashioned outhouse privy, for toilet paper. No saddles or suction here, no built-in bidets, just a handful of paper to get enough of the crap off to keep his ass from staining his shorts. It wasn't really sanitary, but then, what in the 20th century had been? As he was marking his place in the book and pulling up his drawers, he heard a rapping on the counter. Hola. Si, senor. Un momento, por favor. Mondu grabbed his book and made his way between the inventory shelves to the front. There, at the display case come counter stood the man in the rain. His white fedora rested loosely in his hand, and his half bald head glistened with water beads under the hot, old-style incandescence. You speak English? An American. In the six months he'd been here, he hadn't seen a lot of Americans. See, see, I speak English, okay? Good. This ring here, how much? Twenty. The man nodded. Then he chewed his bottom lip thoughtfully. And this here? The machete or the stylus? The machete. I have some hunting I may need to do. Do you have a license? We supply them. I do. Freedom of movement is important to me. Mandu's face broke into a broad smile. The man was looking for one of the boss's special services. A passport, probably, but it could be a national ID or a false account or any number of other things. It was a chance to do something fun. We have many tools available. The customer nodded. They understood each other. My needs are specific. As you can see from my suit, cleanliness is important to me. Will you need a uh, privilege? No, just cleanliness. Understand. Take this. Mandu handed over a pencil and a paper form. Based on the boxes he checked, the man didn't just want a passport. He wanted an identity. He checked the whole sheaf, biometrics included. Eh, this should do me fine. Prices? Is- Not a problem. He produced a deck of cards from his pocket and set it on the table. With his left hand, he cut them, then dealt the first card to Mondu face up. Put this through your assay. It should settle the bill. A playing card? Mondu slid the card off the tabletop and threaded it into the assay scanner he'd used the day before to determine the molecular structure of the gold. Set it to X-Band. Mondu complied. Under the low-level X-Ray bombardment, the card showed platinum in the ink. A lot of platinum. The boss set the store's exchange rate at 1,200 credits per ounce. Mandu looked back up at his customer. You have uh, how much? Two decks. Mandu nodded and did some quick mental calculations. It would more than cover the fee. Two decks for a full ID jacket. How long? Three hours. Done. Stand in front of the register, please. Mandu flipped open the camera port concealed in the cash register. Eyes straightforward. The customer complied, and Mandu snapped his photo. The man in the rain donned his hat and tipped the brim to Mondu. I'll see you this evening. Without another word, he turned and walked away. Three hours was just enough time to work up a full ID jacket. Mandu's fingers danced between the scattered devices on the boss's desk in the office. Taking the photo and merging it into the watermarked paper with the laser etcher, he carefully laid down a false name, encoded false issuing authority information into the threads laced through the paper for that purpose, looked up a copy of the notary's signature from three years ago, and carefully forged it. This was the part that took the longest. It required an actual signature, not a printed duplicate, and it had to be automatic. The difference between a forged signature and the thoughtless stroke of a pen from muscle memory showed up in the way the ink bled into the paper where the pen hesitated. And that wouldn't pass muster. A lot of the fine details were like that. Little touches here and there that had to be done by hand. It was the imperfections that authenticated the documentation. The right kinds of random defects in just the right places. The ID card, the marriage license, and the death certificate for the fictitious wife, the passport, the digital thumb copies of all of them complete with Crypt 256M keys, and the biometrics jacket made the package complete. Once Mondu had it all in order, he uploaded the keys to the SAA key server, from where they'd propagate across the net to the different customs authority systems. Biometrics were the easy part. DNA was easy enough to wrap or rewrite, fingerprints were easy enough to burn off or replace, irises were easily altered, even the bones of the facial structure or a person's gait could be tweaked enough that post-singularity intelligence couldn't recognize them. As such, biometrics cards were linked to the crypt keys that didn't change, and travelers were required to renew every two years to update any changes that they'd made through cosmetic, medical, prosthetic, or cyberorganic procedures. When the customer returned, he could sample the fingerprints, the iris, the DNA, and the walk cycle. Mondu gathered up the scattered instances of forgery, returned the gadgets to their proper places, and set everything up to give the customer after he integrated the biometrics. He looked at the clock. 15.30. He had a good half hour before the customer came back. Just enough time to inhale some pineapple and a breast of peacock. Hey, boy! voice from the front room sounded like the owner of the gold ring. Mondu dropped the last of the bones on his plate and emerged from the back to find the weathered Asian standing over the display case, looking with relief down at the property he'd evidently come to reclaim. Oh, wanting back the ring? Yes. Twenty-two to get out the hawk. Mondu reached into the display case and removed the ring from its pedestal. He set it spinning on the counter and reached for the proffered claim ticket and cash from the customer. Thank you. He grasped the cash and felt the oily residue on it. Wet he might have expected. Everything was wet here, but not oily. He left the cash on the counter and lifted his hand to look at it. As he did, his hand seemed to melt before his face. He felt a strange euphoria as he watched the flesh run like wax, and darkness closed across his vision like an iris. Mandu felt nothing as his head hit the ground and his scalp split trickling a generous rivulet of blood down through the floorboards to fertilize the forest. Sound was the first thing to come back, the banshee wind of billions of crickets trolling for sex all around him. Buried in the noise, riding down below in the registers most humans normally spoke in, he heard the dull thudding of someone tenderizing a steak. After that, voices. The voices didn't make sense for a while, but he knew they weren't the call of his ancestors welcoming him to paradise. They were angry, and they spoke English in accents you didn't often hear in Calabar and never in the home he'd been born to. I've never heard of them! It was the voice of his customer, the man in the white fedora who wanted the identity package. Somewhere off in the distance. No, I think we have our Mr. Briggs. The rough... Stilted voice of the ring's owner. What was going on? The jungle will take him, I think. I'm not... His voice was cut off by the sound of a body splashing in the puddle. Mandu didn't consider keeping his place and playing dead. His customer was getting beaten somewhere around him. He couldn't let it go on. Not in his presence. Not while he could do something about it. The boss kept an old projectile pistol under the cash register in case of robbery. While the sickening sounds continued, Mondu opened his eyes a slit and scanned around, making sure there was no one who could see him. The area behind the counter was clear. He inched his way along the ground, his head still swimming. He didn't trust himself to stay below the glass so he couldn't be seen. Under the cash register now, he reached up and snaked the gun out of its cubbyhole. The boss had given him some instructions when he was first hired. It was only a revolver, a good thing too. He'd seen the tourists occasionally using automatics mechanism looked simple, but there were odd rituals they went through before shooting that, without training, made no sense to him. Mandu pulled himself into a squat behind the cash register, the only blind available to him. He held the gun up against his chest with both hands, breathing as quietly as he could, trying to stuff the dizziness and the nausea down from his head and into his gut where it couldn't make him fall over. He mentally counted three and stood up. The room was clear. As near as he could tell through his head swimming and swaying, the sounds were coming from behind him. Quietly as he could, he stumbled through the swinging door to the back of the shop. Past the boss's office, past his rooms, the soft thudding sounds of a man being beaten in the face kept him pushing forward. The back door was half open. Through it, he saw three figures. Mondu took a deep breath, raised the gun, and kicked the door open. Under the awning, the Asian man stood cruelly over the balding American, while a taller, younger, and far more frightening Asian stood off to the side as backup. Mondu didn't have time to do more than survey the situation before the younger man whipped a taser off his belt and fired it at him. Paralyzing, itching, numbness crawled over his skin and through his organs like a swarm of army ants, and he fell onto the ground again, his senses quitting under the abuse. Mondu awoke, spluttering and thrashing, with water filling his lungs. He kicked like a giraffe, trying to keep himself afloat. Hands flailing, grasping for anything at all. He coughed until his lungs ache and his throat tore. The lake, or river, or deep bathtub, for all he knew, was dark. The whole world was darkness and panic. The water kept rushing in any time he tried to breathe. His body quivered with adrenaline, his muscles already exhausted after only a few seconds. He pushed against the water, trying to gulp air. There was no way to know which way to swim, if he could even manage to control himself long enough to remember how. He wouldn't last long. With one last great burst of will, Mandu kicked with all his might and tried to get on top of the water so he could float. He splashed, crashed, and gasped above the surface before sinking back down feet first. Just as the water was about to close over him, his feet found bottom. He stood still for a minute. Maybe two. Hardly believing his luck. He'd found a rock or a... No. His foot tapped out carefully around him. The ground was solid as far as his feet could feel. He was standing in no more than a meter and a half of water. He'd been drowning in no more than a meter and a half of water. Where was he? Cautiously, Mondu slid his left foot forward as far as he could go without losing his balance. When it failed to find any resistance or any drop off, he put his weight on it and repeated the process with his other foot. Four long, slow, sliding steps brought him to a cinder block wall extending over his head and for farther than he could reach to either side. It only took him another minute to move around the circumference of his enclosure. He was in a well of some sort, round walls, too far apart to brace against, nothing to hold on to. No escape. The panic rose in his throat again. No escape, and no rest either. The water was high enough that he couldn't sit down to sleep. There was no way to prop himself up. He was dead. Somewhere overhead he heard a thud, then the smash tinkle of breaking glass. Someone yelled. Then silence. He counted the seconds by the sounds of a drip. Overhead, the trees of the roof or whatever was over him leaked at a steady rate. A few minutes trickled by before he heard anything else. How many more? The man from the rain, screaming. Mandu couldn't hear a response. More minutes dripped by. He couldn't tell how many through the ache in his lungs and his throat. The blood on his head was dry now, and it made his scalp itch. He wanted to sleep. Yes, sleep. That was it. He could nap just for a little while. A crack snapped Mandu back to himself with the water up at his chin again. Hello? You down there? Hello? The passport customer. Hello? Stand back. Mandu pressed his back up against the wall. He heard two more hard cracks, then light flashed down into his hole. From two meters up, a board broke loose and fell towards him. Mandu covered his head as the sodden wood slammed into the water in front of him. One light streamed down through the hole, but to Mandu's eyes it was nearly blinding. A man's head poked into the opening. Are you the guy from the pawn shop? Sit, 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 yes. Hold on a second. Terrible scraping and wrenching pierced his eardrums, and then the heavy wooden cover was pushed aside. The man shoved a cane down into the pit to him. Grab hold. Mondu did, his hands in the crook of the cane. He hauled on it as hard as he could while his feet scrambled and pushed him up the wall. The man at the other end of the cane pulled him up until he could reach the lip of the pit, and then pulled at his arms and his shirt while Mondu pushed himself up on the ground, swung his legs over the edge, and rolled out of the pit onto the earth. He lay there for a moment, catching his breath, and then pulled himself to his feet and looked down the pit. Mandu, Sila! What is that? It looks like an old well, or. Uh, it doesn't matter. Mandu stepped back from the pit and regarded his savior. In the irregular light spilling through on them from the bare bulb just on the other side of the door, the man looked different. He wasn't the embodiment of deliberation and patience he seemed earlier today. His hat was battered, and his white suit splattered and caked with blood. His own blood, viscous, flowed slowly out of a gash above his left ear. He dabbed at it unconsciously as he waited for Mondu to finish collecting his thoughts. Who was this man? Did he even want to know? Looking over the mud and gore streaked across the once white suit, he decided he'd rather not. Um I uh um thank you. Don't mention it. Come on, let's go. You slow that package for me? Shoot, 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 shoot. it's it's ready. Well, let's get moving. Without looking at Mondu again, he walked up the half-flight of decaying wooden steps and through the door. Mondu had little choice. He shrugged and followed after. The door led to a landing, and the stairs doubled back on themselves. The top of the flight opened into a restaurant kitchen. Two steps in, the smell hit him. Acrid, metallic, and vaguely repugnant, like rust and ammonia laid over a bedding of diarrhea. His stomach lurched. Excuse the mess, I've been doing some cooking. You still need biometrics, right? His companion grabbed a pair of poultry scissors and ducked behind the counter. Sid, uh, 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 Sid, yes. Sorry. Uh, what's that smell? A crunching, squishing sound came from behind the counter. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Like I <clears throat> said, the man grunted with exertion. <clears throat> I've been busy. <clears throat> Messy business. What's your line? You haven't spent your whole life hanging around in the jungle. Oh, that's a special AI for custom apps. Like ships, computers with personality. No, 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 no. Easy, old. Uh, Take medical data and the special diagnostic AI, which I have to remind, but no making medical decisions. Mandu hung back uncomfortably. Something told him he should give his savior some privacy behind the counter. Oh, you did that? One of them. The sickening sound came again. What the hell are you doing running a pawn shop at the ass end of nowhere? Oh, In the Calabar now, AI design AI. No work. Looking for new things. Well... We all need to change sometimes. Mandu's curiosity got the better of him, and he screwed up his courage and walked towards the counter. Sit, sit, then we... He stopped as his lunch lurched up in his throat. The man in the once-white suit knelt next to someone in a leather vest. On that someone's back were three small sausages. Above the sausages, Mandu's customer held the body's hand. Only his hand. The arm wasn't attached anymore, and neither were three of the... Fingers. Mondu turned around and spilled the remains of his last meal on the floor. He wiped his mouth on his soaking sleeve and tried to find his tongue in the burning. What are you, what, are, what? What are you? Biometrics. For the card. That sound again. <coughs> Mondu heaved, but nothing was left to come up. Life is... Uh, life is messy. Crunch. Don't walk around this way if you can't help it. The man. If he really was a man and not a demon... Stood and grabbed a cup from the counter. He walked to the freezer as if it were the most natural thing in the world to eat a popsicle after dismembering another man's hand. He scooped the cup in the ice tray and returned it to the floor. Mondu closed his eyes, trying to remember what life was like before it was filled with blood and electricity and dark pits full of water. There! The jocularity in the voice unnerved him. That should keep them nice and fresh until... Ah, fuck. Yakuza. I should have known. Well, that fucking figures. He stood up and straightened his suit as if an even lapel line would make him look like he didn't just walk out of a slaughterhouse. Yakuza? Mandu had nothing else worth saying. He didn't even want to know the answer. He didn't want to know anything anymore. He just wanted to live through the day or the night or whatever it was alive and get lost in the morning. But he had to say something. He couldn't bear the silence. The dripping sounds of the leaking thatch. He couldn't cope with not knowing whether those drips were water or blood. As much as this man from the rain frightened Mandu, he was the only way out. Talking was better than sitting in the kitchen like an animal, wondering where the next predator would come from. Japanese mafia. Mandu shook his head, not understanding. They're hired muscle for organized crime. They used to have a lot of power on their own before the war. Now the ones that are left are freelance hitmen. Some things, trust me, kid, you don't want to know. The man looked up and brushed his hands against each other. All you really need to know is that the world is full of people, and some of them are looking for me. Mondu nodded. I see. Don't worry about it. It's not your fight, and no one's going to tie you to but these the hell two. But how can you do that? You learn. Hope you never have to. Come on, we'll go get that card and I'll get out of your hair. <laughs> You're lucky enough to still have some. The man gave Mondu an incongruous wink and led him around the corner. You might want to hold your nose and look away. It got a little messy through here. Mondu tried to do as instructed, but when he plugged his nose, he tasted the foul metallic tang, and he kept having to look up to avoid tripping over stools and limbs and cabinet doors. In front of them, hanging from his hair in the doorway, the Asian man who'd hawked the ring smiled ghoulishly at them with his neck. A dozen stab wounds peppered the front of his Gayabera shirt, and long slits down his forearms opened the muscle to the bone. Mondo. He was getting tired of saying it, but prayer was all he could think of to do. He swooned a little, and his hip crashed against the counter, and he caught himself. I said don't look! You have enough nightmares as it is. Come on, through here. He felt the stranger's strong hand grip his arm and pull him up, leading him through the rest of the kitchen, turning left at the meat gargoyle, and emerging out a back door into an alley. Mandu knew this alley. It was behind Touristas, the seasonal restaurant at the top of the little hill, two blocks from his own shop, the horror closed behind him with the door and he greedily sucked in the thick, unbreathable air with all its earthy, living scents. It was a different world out here. Oh! Oh! He struggled to slow his breathing, calm his heart rate, pretend that he wasn't a hunted animal that the psychopath could snuff out and butcher at any moment. Oh How long have we About eight hours. They brought us up here and dumped you down there while they worked on me. I'd have come for you sooner, but I needed to make sure there weren't any others coming. The stranger patted him reassuringly on the back, as if they were brothers. Having walked through danger and blood together, literally, perhaps they were. Mandu would have given anything for a computer terminal and a pair of headphones to shut out the Jungle Knight's cacophony. In the 32 degree heat of the night, he shook like he was covered in snow. He knew he should feel something. His body was breaking down. But his emotions were blank. What he had just seen had sucked his soul out through his eyes, and he didn't know if he would ever find it again. Still standing behind the restaurant, the man from the rain took off his hat and spread his arms wide, looking up at the sky with pagan welcome. He scrubbed the blood off his hands, off his face, and took his suit jacket off, wringing out the silk and pushing all the blood out of the white, and then hung it on the hook and did the same with the rest of his clothes. Gotta love these stain-proof silks. Finished with his cleaning, the man redressed, turned back to Mandu and took him by the arm. Come on, I'll walk you back. Mondu stumbled forward roughly, his legs not quite remembering how to walk. As long as he was still, he was okay. When he started putting one foot in front of the other, the fear welled up in him and he tried to run away and run back all at once. Tears of rage and terror pushed out of his eyes and he looked for something, anything, to grab onto, but he didn't know whether to kill it or hold it. Keep going? It'll pass. I promise. The smaller man's firm grip was the only thing that steadied him. Mandu let himself be marched out of the alley and onto the main street. Descending the hill gave him something to do. Trying to keep his feet in the mud, trying not to take his companion down with him if he slid, keeping up some pretext of conversation as the rain washed them both clean. They kept his mind moving. They kept it from settling on the vulture's heap. It wasn't quite life, maybe, but at least it wasn't death. Five minutes, maybe 10, brought them to the door of the hawk shop. It could have been hours for all Mondo could tell. The Amazonian night hung heavy everywhere, and the clouds in the canopy kept the stars concealed overhead. Mondu detached himself from his escort and mechanically found the counter. Circle round behind the counter, where the office was, on the desk. The envelope was still there. No one had bothered trying to break in. No one should have. It was the off-season. Mondu pulled out the card and fed it into the writer. Señor... Come back. The fedora's white brim led the severe, haggard face around the corner. Mandu saw smile lines. At some point, it had been a happy face. Not anymore. Sure. Mandu shoved the biometrics writer at him and looked away. He didn't want to think about what the rustling of ice from the man's coat pocket meant, or what he was feeding into the fingerprint scanners, or why he was putting them back into his pocket. He didn't want to imagine how it was that the man changed his iris. He had to have it at some point, or he wouldn't need a new biometrics jacket. He didn't want to know anything more ever of this creature from the cafe. Thank you. Is this is the rest of the package? Mandu looked up and saw the man pointing to the manila envelope on the desk. Sit, sit, sit. yours. Take it. His customer nodded and took the envelope. He pulled the contents out one by one, examining each in their turn and pocketing them where appropriate. As much as would fit in his front pockets, and then the rest in his inside coat pocket, the places least likely to be picked. Mondo didn't care anymore. He wanted to get his book and go to bed and pretend the whole world was paved over by shining relays and intelligent protocols in giant shining glass fiber cables. He got up and led his customer back to the front of the store and stayed at the counter while he got situated. The stranger produced the store's revolver from his pocket and laid it down on the counter. Here. I didn't use any of the bullets. He followed the revolver with the promised payment. Two decks of cards printed in platinum ink. Mondo would have to burn them down into bullion, but that was tomorrow's problem. A small patch of dried blood... Black in the yellow light still lingered inside the top of his left ear as the man who came out of the rain donned his fedora. The hat's white felt shone a dull orange as he nodded to Mondu's book, still at the end of the counter where he'd left it when the Yakuza flattened him. You ought to find a way to put that into practice again. Mondu nodded dully. One day, there may again be a need. The customer pulled his brim down and turned towards the door, stepping through from the yellow into the dark, pale blue. He called over his shoulder to Mondu. The clouds are broken. The man stood there as if expecting Mondu to follow. Maybe the only way to be rid of him was to humor him. Mondu strode across the entryway and stood by the shorter man. Looking up through the canopy in the clearing. (sighs) Lot of space out there. Yep. A man with your expertise could find a lot of opportunity up there. No, I think not. Moving up, much money. There's a place up there. No one knows about it yet. They're going to call it Nineveh. They're going to need people like you to build it. If you can make it to the elevator, look for the MEO or the IBM pavilions. They will not be wanting someone with a history like... If you can do the job, that's what they'll care about. Clouds began creeping across the break in the canopy once more. Soon, there would be only the blank gray of the cloudy sky, and then more rain. Mondu wanted to go back inside before the clouds closed over him again. He didn't want to stand next to this man who he'd watched do things he never thought he'd see. That man turned towards him and looked up to him. Thank you for trying to help. I... I... Did nothing. You worried enough about a stranger to risk your life. It is a decent thing. (laughs) The world's decency tank is empty most of the time. The stranger produced one more pack of cards from beneath his shirt. A money belt? Hmm, Perhaps. He opened the box and dealt a hand of five and handed them to Mondu. Decent men should win sometimes. The man had just handed him enough money to get somewhere, even to the elevator if he really wanted to, because... Mondu couldn't begin to guess why. But it was clear now that the man wasn't going to kill him. He let out his breath, feeling the adrenaline subside. Not knowing how to respond to the gift, he merely nodded at his companion and said, You are a good man. (laughs) The corners of the stranger's mouth twitched up, And he shook his head as if trying not to laugh at a private joke. I may be a lot of things. That isn't one of them. You saved my life. It was convenient. The man took his hat off, fiddled with the brim a moment, then nodded to himself and put it back on. Now that you have it back, do something useful with it. Don't take too long. None of us lives forever. Forever. A long time. He wondered again who this strange, brutal creature was. As the man took his first step down whatever road lay in front of him, Mandu caught him around the arm. Wait, what is your name? The man looked sidelong and raised an eyebrow, as if Mondu had just asked the most foolish question in the world. Then he smiled. You gave it to me, let's see. The man dug down in his pocket and flipped open his new passport. Joss Kyle! Freelance Trader. Pleased to meet you. The newly minted Mr. Kyle returned the passport to his pocket, turned, and walked into the night. Mondu stood for a few more moments watching the cloud break repair itself, and then returned to his counter. He went about his business of locking up the store, then picked up his book and retired to his room to dream of being in a modern world again. The jungle was brutal. It was hot, and it was close. And he'd been here four months without getting to know anyone in the small community beyond a passing glance and an exchange of names. It was only ever supposed to be a way station while he figured out what to do. If he could find a way up there, he might be able to find work in AI again. The space elevator the stranger mentioned was in Ecuador. And now, thanks to the stranger, Mondu had just enough money to hop a shuttle to the mountains. The light from his hammock side lamp burned steady and low, throwing deep shadows over everything. Through the walls, the sounds of the ever-living jungle played a riotous din, enough white noise to make any city dweller happy. It settled into the back of his mind, not as good as the thermoregulator pumps in a cluster farm, but for tonight, it would do. Performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. The production was recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. Music provided by Podsafe Network Music Affiliated Musicians and Teraberry. Sound effects furnished by the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. This story is copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2008 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.0 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. The Amazon jungle is a place that will always have a special hold on me. It's the place my mother's family lived for 50 years, and I grew up hearing stories of adventures with piranhas, anacondas, taper, sloths, caiman, and a bunch of creatures whose name I'd have to look up in a dictionary to pronounce properly. It's a place where life grows so thick it can literally be hard to breathe. I'd always wanted to use it in a story. My grandfather, who spent his life there creating breeds of cattle that could survive under the Amazon's harsh conditions, died earlier this year, just as I was finishing up work on the polished draft of the first book of my antithesis series. I needed to write something. And what better way to honor a leathery old man who worked his whole life with aggressive animals ten times his size than with a story about people facing up to extreme conditions in the Amazon? And who better to put in it than two characters from the new novel, Mandu and Joss Kyle. So this story is lovingly dedicated to the memory of Herbert T. Fuqua, who, though he may not have liked the violence in it, certainly loved the Amazon and gave his life to improving the lives of the people who make their home in it. May the river always remember him. And now to business. This story is the first in the Antithesis series, a prequel of sorts to whet your appetite for the novels. And you don't have to wait long. This is a series of science fiction espionage thrillers that takes place in the 22nd century. They're violent, they're racy, they're sumptuous and oversensual, and they'll keep you on the edge of your seat. I hope you'll join me this Thursday, July 31st, 2008 at www.jdsawyer.net, probably sometime towards the evening. Just look at the right side of the page and you'll see a link for the Antithesis podcast feed. Book one is called Predestination and Other Games of Chance, and it'll keep you guessing until the last three minutes of the last episode. The downside of this endeavor is, until I get done producing the book, which will likely be mid-September, there won't be any new Sculpting God episodes. But fear not, there are eight more stories in the Sculpting God corpus, and if I'm not careful, I might wind up writing one or two more to fit in there as well. There's still the story of the two peasant girls on a midnight adventure who happen upon a magical garden pool. There's the one about the town secret in the Old South that pulls two lovers into a conspiracy they never imagined. There's the one about the man whose friend commits a murder that... Well, I don't want to give it all away. Suffice it to say that you ain't seen nothing yet. Stay subscribed to this feed and watch this space for announcements come September 30th. There will be news. Until then... Sculpting God is written and directed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Web design production and post-production services provided by Artistic Whispers Productions, www.artisticwhispers.com. Theme music for this podcast provided by Podsafe Music Network Artists, 100-Year Picnic, and 2012.